This episode is sponsored by Family Tree Tours. Family Tree Tours provides a unique travel experience for those who are eager to know more about their family history. Envision meeting family you never knew existed, walking the cobblestone streets through your ancestors' village to the church where your great-great-grandfather was married, or visiting with local townsfolk in a beer garden. Whether you choose a privately escorted group or independent tour, Family Tree Tours Heritage Trips provides you with the opportunity to experience the culture of your heritage and create memories for future generations. Visit them at FamilyTreeTours.com. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this May 2014 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on summer road trip planning tips. We'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will give us her must-haves for hitting the road. And then we'll jump right into the top tips segment, where Dana McCullough will share research road trips from her article called Genealogy Adventure Awaits, and that appears in the July-August issue of the magazine. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to dig into Evernote.com, one of the most popular tools for taking research notes on the go. Then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler Moss will be here to take over the helm and interview me about using your iPad and tablets on the go. And finally, we'll check in the publisher's desk where Allison Dolan will share her summer packing list for research trips. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. It's time for news from the blogosphere. And here to tell us all about the genealogy news is the uh, managing editor of Family Tree Magazine. That's Diane Headhead. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, you know, th- we're talking about hitting the road in this episode and uh-huh. doing our genealogy research. And I know I'm going to be hitting the road next week. I'm heading to the National Genealogical Society and uh, whether folks are going to conferences or whether they're heading to the library. I know that you just posted on the Genealogy Insider blog about what you would take on that kind of a trip. Give us some pointers. Well, I've picked up a few uh, must-have items over the years of going to conferences and libraries, so just thought I would put them together. Um, The first thing is a sweater. (laughs) Yeah. Because you never know. Sometimes, you know, there's air conditioning blasting, and sometimes it's you know, stifling and stuffy in a room. So it helps to just have another layer that you can throw on if you, you know, so you're not sitting there shivering. I think that's a great tip. There's nothing worse (laughs) than being uh, too cold or like you say, layers also so that you can peel one off if it gets kind of stuffy and warm in there too. Yeah. And then you have on here the early bird mindset. What do you mean by that? Well, there's nothing as disappointing as being, um, too late to your class 
that you wanted, you've been looking forward to taking at a conference so that you can't get into it or there's not enough room. So it's a good idea ahead of time to figure out the layout of the place so that you can find it easily. And then to get there, um, a little bit early, especially if you need to sit in the front, um, you know, if you forgot your glasses or to help you here to make sure that you have a place. And then there are some speakers who are just so popular that the room fills up. So um, for the for those people, I mentioned Elizabeth Schoen Mills and Tom Jones, but uh, there are others where you just want to make sure that you get there early enough to sit down at all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then uh, carrying an extra bag. I, I know mm-hmm. I've heard people say that, oh, I wish I had another bag with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we hear that a lot when people are um, visiting our booth at conferences. So yeah, take a tuck a, one of those reusable grocery bags into your purse or, you know, whatever you're carrying around with you. Exactly. And uh, a few more tips here. Um, things that you might wish you had hand sanitizer because you're always shaking hands and touching things. And it seems like after a conference, you go on Facebook and everybody's saying, Oh, I got the conference cough or, you know, I'm sick. So just try to keep yourself healthy and and hydrated Um, and headache medicine. Cause you know, you never drink enough water at these things or get enough sleep. If you scroll through microfilm and you get a little bit nauseous, I'm a little dizzy. I do. So I take Dramamine beforehand, or I I have to avert my eyes when I'm scrolling. (laughs) So tissues, uh, comfortable shoes, stuff like that. Address labels, that's another big one, because at conferences, you fill out your name a lot. Oh, right. Right, exactly. Just saves you that time and headache. And you also mentioned not only what you're supposed what you should bring, but also to make sure that you know what's allowed. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of repositories, they don't want you to have ink pens. They want you to use pencils because of the possibility of accidentally marking a book or um, no cameras, no cell phones. They'll have different restrictions like that. So make sure you either check the website or call ahead of time to find out what you're allowed to bring. It's really convenient to be able to take a picture of a microfilm screen, but sometimes that's not allowed. So find out how you can make copies. You know, do they have microfilm readers that print digitally and will save a JPEG to a flash drive, or um, do you need to actually use a photocopier and buy a copy card? So those are good things to find out ahead. Oh, all great ideas. Well, and she's got a couple of more here. So you need to head to these, this uh, blog post at the Genealogy Insider blog. It's called What to Bring When You Hit the Road for Genealogy. It's published May 1st. We'll have a link in the show notes for you. And that sounds great. Uh, all helpful. And I know I'm getting ready to hit the road. So um, I will take your advice to heart. Thanks so much, Diane. Have, have a good journey. <laughs> top tip segment, we are going to help you cross one or more of your America's top genealogy research and history destinations off your bucket list this summer. Dana McCullough is here to give us guiding tips from her article. It's called Genealogy Adventure Awaits, and it appears in the July-August issue of the magazine. Now, Dana's a freelance writer and editor and a former assistant editor at Family Tree Magazine. She's contributed to more than 20 regional and national magazines, as well as contributed to the editing of six books. And her website is danascreativeservices.com. Welcome to the show, Dana. 
Thank you. You know, we've got some great research locations listed in this article, which I'm excited to get in, into. But before we get into something specific, what's your number one tip for somebody who's getting ready to hit the road this summer to do some genealogy research? Well, the number one tip is to prepare before you go so that if you're visiting a repository, you can look in the library's catalog and see what records are available so that you can be ready to hit the ground running when you're there and get into the records right away. Yeah, I mean, we have such an advantage, don't we, over even 10 years ago that there's so much preparation we can do before we ever go. Um, I know when I hit the Family History Library, I'm armed with a list of particularly those items that are not available online or can't even be borrowed through interlibrary loan. Those are really the gems, aren't they, that we want to get in touch with? Yes, those are the ones that you really want to make sure are on your list to see when you're at the repository. Well, you've got several great archives and repositories listed here. And I, I know that one of my personal favorites that I've been to myself is Ellis Island. And um, what do you recommend? What are some of the most popular collections at Ellis Island? Well, Ellis Island has the immigrant and passenger list from the Port of New York dating from 1892. And so you can access those records on the computer before you go and also at Ellis Island. Uh, so there's different ways that you can get to the island. So that's where I guess most of the tips come in, as well as to make sure that you take your username and password with you so that you can access your account that you set up at home when you're on the island. Um, and then some of the tips that the park services had when you're trying to get there is to make sure you kind of choose the right type of ferry tickets for yourself depending on how you want to travel. There's time tickets so that you can arrive about 30 minutes before your departure, or you can get a flex ticket where you may have to go a little bit earlier, about 90 minutes ahead of time, to make sure that you're there in time to get through security and make it on the ferry. And you also give a great tip, which if you weren't familiar with the area, you might not even realize that uh, Castle Garden is right nearby. And of course, that was an immigration processing station from 1855 to 1890. So we can kind of incorporate that into that visit as well. Yes, it's a great place to stop. And um, I believe some of the ferry tickets are even, um, you can pick those up at Castle Garden. Terrific. What was one of your other favorite um, archives or locations that you've got listed here in the article? Well, I think the Allen County Public Library and Genealogy Center um, was one of my favorites. There just seems like there's a lot of information and they have a lot of great records online as well that you can look at before you go to the library. Now that's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So we went from, uh, of course, the East Coast down to uh, the Midwest. And you've got a couple of things here for people to kind of know before they get there. And of course, that's really the key. It's just being armed with that information. And um, they are certainly, I, I think probably Allen County's public library, that genealogy center is right up there with the Family History Library in terms of being an incredible genealogy resource. Yes, they really have a lot of great records there and even some that you can't access um, at other libraries as well. So they're a great resource. The Allen County Public Library uh, adds about 1,200 items to its collection each month, so it's definitely worth it if you checked a year ago to check their catalog again and make sure that you haven't missed anything new that's come in that may have some information about your family in it. Exactly. It might be worth it, even if we went last year, to make, make a second trip. 
Now, I know that you guys reached out to a lot of your readers and the listeners that we have here at the podcast to get their road tripping tips. Those are also included in the article. What's one of your favorites that one of the readers contributed? Well, one of the readers um, had advised us that we should take a USB flash drive with us whenever we're going to a repository because nowadays, instead of having to pay for printed copies of microfilm slides, then you can actually get that put on your flash drive. And in most libraries, that's a free service to take that electronic copy of the record rather than a printed copy. Um, so taking a USB flash drive is definitely important if you're going to a library. And then at cemeteries, one of the tips that they had was to buddy up at the cemeteries, especially cemeteries that may not be on a major road that might be on off the beaten path. So they recommend that you buddy up, take a friend with you when you're going out there just you know to avoid any have uncomfortable situations or you might be focusing so much on the grave, you might not notice if there's somebody that approaches you out in the cemetery. Well, that's a really good point. You know, we've got our head down, we're focusing on the task at hand, and we still have to keep safety in mind. There were so many great tips here. I imagine you got even more than this. Did you have any favorites that just didn't quite make it into the article? Yes. Um, for a cemetery research, uh, our readers recommended that we pack a lunch because you never know how long you're going to be out at the cemetery, especially if it's maybe a ways away from the main city or the main town. And also they advise to dress comfortably when you're going to the cemeteries as well. Uh, one reader even said, you will get dirty when you're at the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, make sure that you, I guess, uh, dress appropriately, pack a lunch when you're going to the cemetery, and be sure to take printed copies of your uh, charts as well, just in case your cell phone signal doesn't work you're trying to access something in the cloud out of the cemetery, you may not be able to if your signal's not working. Yeah, exactly. I really liked the uh, create a kit tip. One reader says that she keeps a genealogy to go bag that's ready to walk out the door with her stocked with uh, office supplies, batteries, business cards, address labels, a digital voice recorder, a magnifier, sticky notes, and a small power strip. That's a great idea. I, I notice when I go to even conferences that even people who are not professional genealogists, they've got a business card. So and as she mentioned, that's part of her kit that you never know who you're going to run into, or who's going to have something that you're going to want to follow up on. And even if you're not a professional, you can still have a card with your contact info to hand it right then and there and write on the back of it what the follow-up items are um, so that you can stay in touch with those people that you meet on your on your trip. Yes, that's a great tip. Well, if you want more great tips like this, this article is really jam-packed. And data does go really into specifics about the nuts and bolts of visiting these various locations. And and you know how it is. You don't want to get bogged down in the details of where to park when you are so excited to get in and actually be looking at records. So she's going to answer all those questions for you. Again, the article is called Genealogy Adventure Awaits, and it is in the July-August issue of the magazine. Dana, wonderful tips and ideas. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, now it's time for our 101 Best Website segment. And for this month, we're flipping the tables a little bit. This is Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Tree Magazine. And I'm going to be interviewing our host, Lisa Louise Cook, about Evernote tips for on-the-go research. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Welcome to the 101 Best Website segment. It's fun to be on the opposite end of the interview for a change. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. But I'm excited because um, I always love talking about this particular website, Evernote.com. Yes, I know this is a pet topic for you. And you recently gave a webinar called Making Evernote Effortless um, for Family Tree University. And so I thought maybe you could share some tips, starting with Tell us about how Evernote can work for us on the go in terms of the different platforms you can use it on. You bet. Well, Evernote is a website, first and foremost. So it's evernote.com, and you can sign up for a free account. And uh, what's wonderful is you can use it certainly from any computer that you happen to be at at any given time. But then the other big bonus is that they have all these great mobile apps, which means you can put the free Evernote app on your iPad, your iPhone, uh, your Android, your Windows, uh, BlackBerry. They really have um, an app for every platform. And that's why I think it's the perfect tool for doing your note taking on the go, because you never know whether you're going to be working with um, your iPad or your smartphone or whether you're going to find yourself at a library, kind of a last minute trip, and you realize you don't have your mobile device, but you really want to access your notes, you can still sign on to the library computer, go to Evernote.com, sign in to your account. And again, all of your notes are right there in front of you. So whether you're standing out in the middle of a cemetery, and you've got your smartphone, or whether you're at somebody else's computer, you always have all of your notes right at your fingertips. And that's because of the cloud computing. Um, Evernote is saving all of your notes up on the cloud. And then it's giving you access to them through all these devices. So the other big bonus there is if you make a change to a note or you're adding to a note, if you go and access it from another device, you're always working on the same master note. You're not ending up with a bunch of different copies of notes and you don't know which one is the most current. So as you can see, um, going on the road, this is the perfect tool. It really does sound ideal. I know I've used it myself and having that accessibility to through all the different platforms is super handy, especially not having to keep straight in your head. Where did I make that note? Which device did I put that on? It's all in one place. And that's <laughs> super exactly. Handy. That's the key. Yes. Well, you mentioned the notes that you can take in Evernote. And, you know, from using it myself, I know that notebooks are the primary way that you record information. Tell us a, more about, you know, how you can use notebooks specifically for your on the road research trips. You bet. Well, Evernote has uh, an incredible search capability built in, which is really like applying Google to your all of your notes. So we don't have to worry as much about uh, creating a bunch of file, you know, folders and notebooks and all of that kind of thing. But notebooks are very handy for specific projects. And um, when I am going to head out on the road, what I'll do is go in and create a new notebook specifically for that particular trip. And then I'm going to copy in and drag in all of the different items that might be applicable. So yes, I could do a quick search and pull things up, but how much more convenient would it be then to have all of the applicable information right in one notebook? So now it's just one click and you've got everything about that project you're working on right there at your fingertips. And, and that includes every kind of note. So a lot of people don't realize that in addition to typing a note, you can also drag other documents. So let's say you've got some Word documents and PDFs, whatever, on your computer. You can drag and drop those into your notebook and they become a note. 
You can also, while you're on the road, record um, an interview and it records audio. That's a note. It's just an audio note. Taking photographs with your smartphone, um, send them over to Evernote and they become image notes in your Evernote um, notebook. So you're not limited to just typing up text. You really are collecting everything that has to do with that project and getting it into this one notebook. So it's just one click access. That's super handy to have everything all in one place and be able to incorporate not just the stuff that you type, but really all of the different types of things that you may be touching in terms of interviews, audio, uh, images, um, and even documents. So that's great. Now, what if you need to push that information out someplace else? Say you find a document and you think you need some help with how is that relate to my family? And you know that Cousin Sue is going to have the answer to that. How do you use Evernote to help you with that? (laughs) Well, in my case, uh, when I'm working on my father's family, it's my cousin Carolyn, who always seems to have um, great info. And we collaborate all the time online. So if I am in a repository, and I'm taking an image of a um, document, let's say I've pulled up, literally, I've done this, pulled up microfilm, taken my smartphone, take a quick picture of it and save it to Evernote. And I'll go, hmm, what does this say? And I know Carolyn knows more about this particular family. I can go in and just share that note, whether it's through a unique web address link, which every single Evernote note has, or whether I want to do it through email, uh, Facebook, whatever I want to do, I can um, toss it over to her when I'm on the road and I might get an answer back within a few minutes and then be able to keep right on going. So um, being able to share your notes is fabulous. And when I mentioned that unique URL address, literally, I could just email the URL address for that note. And when she clicks it in her email, it pulls up the entire note in her browser. So she's looking at the image of the microfilm and being able to give me her input. Another way I kind of like to share and put it out there is, I have a lot of genealogy friends on Facebook. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, we all get out there and we're all, you know, friending each other. We may not know each other personally, but it's a wonderful crowdsourcing group. And if um, I find something I think, oh, I know somebody out there must know about this. I can send it out to Facebook, my note, and say, okay, folks, I'm crowdsourcing. Who knows what this is or who has an idea what I should be looking for or asking for? And uh, very usually, very quickly, I will get um, a message back from somebody out there across the country who will say, ah, I know, and here's what I would do. And then I, again, you keep on moving. It really speeds up the whole research process. Well, that's certainly much faster and doesn't slow your momentum the same way that it would if you were to take that picture and then bring it home and email it out or mail it out and wait for that feedback to come back, you know, with that instant input that you can get, you know, you can use that and then keep plugging away. Um, Who knows, it might lead you to some further discoveries that you wouldn't have otherwise. Exactly. Well, um, what other any other tips that you would like to share with folks about how you use Evernote on the go? You bet I have one, it comes right out of that um, making Evernote effortless on demand webinar that we did. um, And that's shortcuts. You'll find that when you're working with a particular family, let's say, um, you find yourself running the same type of search all the time in your notes. And and we may be talking, you might, you could have thousands of notes in your, in your Evernote. So you find yourself running a search, trying to collect 
um, certain kinds of information, I would recommend to make a shortcut rather than having to type in the whole search or, you know, put it together. Just um, save it over into shortcuts. You can save your search. And then again, it's one click access. You touch it, it runs the search automatically, it brings up that particular collection of notes. And shortcuts can also be um, documents or notes themselves. So um, if you don't have a notebook set up, or you just want to have it um, front and center right there in the shortcut section of your library, um, saving a document, dragging and dro- dropping it over into shortcuts gives you that really quick one-click access. And again, when I'm on the road, you know, time is so precious. So if there are things like this that we can do to um, speed up the mechanics of what we're doing, we're going to get more research time. And that means, of course, more answers. So um, I would definitely use that saved search feature and the shortcuts. I am definitely going to be adding some more shortcuts to my Evernote. That's a great time saver. (laughs) I don't utilize that feature nearly enough. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. These have been super helpful tips, and we um, will certainly have a recap of all of this on the show notes, as well as a link to Lisa's webinar, Making Evernote Effortless, as well as some cheat sheets that Lisa has developed for Evernote. Um, There's a version for Windows and a version for Mac. And those cheat sheets are really focused on the desktop version. So when you're working on your PC or you're on your laptop or you're at the library computer, um, there's some great tips on there. We have a whole list of quick keys. A lot of people don't realize you can do some really fast movement in uh, Evernote just using the quick keys. So those are all listed in the cheat sheets. Perfect. Well, be sure to check out those links in the show notes. And thanks for joining us for this 101 Best Website segment, Lisa. Thanks, Allison. Our sponsor for this episode is Family Tree Tours at FamilyTreeTours.com. And I'm joined by their president and owner, Kathy Worth. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Doing great. You know, we're talking all about um, hitting the road this summer to research our family history. What are some of your tips for successfully planning a wonderful family history tour? Well, first off, I'd like to tell people is that you need to plan well in advance um, for any kind of trip that you're going to do, especially if you are going to be doing a European one. Main problem that I find that some people, if they're going to visit an ancestral tour in Europe, is to make sure that they have the right town. You need to find that town on a map and make sure you have the correct ones. You know, there's towns that have the same names, and a lot of times I have people that tell me their town, but we don't know an area in particular. So, it's you know, you have to know that. And I think if you do know your town name, my other big tip is for people to check to see if the town's records have been filmed by the LDS library. It's really helpful to verify that your people actually lived in this town by looking at the church records or the town records that are available on Microsem here before you go. You know, I've had people find that their relatives maybe only lived in that town for a couple of generations, and then they had come from a different village. And so if you're going that far, that you would like to, you know, visit all the villages that they lived in. So sometimes if you use the microfilms, and go back several generations, you'll find another village, and so you collect all that information on the villages that you want to visit. The other important thing, I think, is for people to make a contact in their hometowns. I've had people 
tell me that they've driven there and then the church is locked or, you know, they don't know where the church records are kept or the archives have limited hours. So you need to do all that pre-planning ahead of time to find out, is the church going to be open or can I find somebody that can help me there, somebody that will speak English and show me around. And also the archive uh, or the the research facilities are a little bit different than here with, uh, you know, maybe limited hours or you know, different times that you need to have records pulled. So you need to just do all those different little things in advance so that you know when you get there that you can make the most of your time. Absolutely. That's the key, isn't it? It's um, There's so much we can do right from our own home and our computer and the internet that when we go, we can really get the most out of it. Tell our listeners which uh, countries and hometowns they may be able to visit on one of your family tree tours. Well, we specialize in Germany and German-speaking countries. I, I work with my partner as a German man, and so, you know, I have that advantage to uh, have a native German that can help us make contacts in those those towns. But we also are planning um, to expand a little bit. We do, we're going to do a Swedish heritage tour next year, and uh, we can also help people with Italy and uh, Poland a little bit now, too. And I'd like to explain just a little bit about how our trips work. We do several small group tours a year, usually to Germany and sometimes Ireland or England. And, you know, the group is usually 10 to 16 people. And then I try to make the experience not only that you visit your ancestral hometown, but that you learn about your ancestors' life. We visit living history museums, have lectures by historians. And um, if we're in an area that's close to one of the port cities, we visit the immigrant uh, museum so that you know how your people left too. So it's, you know, it's a whole package of not just uh, the hometown visit, but learning more about their life. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Kathy. And you know, whether you choose a privately escorted group or independent tour, Family Tree Tours provides you the opportunity to experience the culture of your heritage and create memories for future generations. And you can visit them at familytreetours.com. Hi there, everybody. This is Tyler Moss, the online editor of Family Tree Magazine and the dean of Family Tree University. I'm going to be switching places with Lisa for this FTU segment on summer road trip planning tips, mainly because I want to talk to you about a webinar that Lisa performed for us, a webinar titled iPad, Your Ultimate Genealogy Tool. Um, and obviously, this topic is perfect for the road trip planning segment. So, um, Lisa, thanks for being here to uh, answer my questions this time around. Thanks. This is fun. Hi, Tyler. So, I mean, obviously you did this webinar called iPad, Your Ultimate Genealogy Tool, and there's a lot of buzz, I mean, for the past you know few years now about the benefits of using your iPad for genealogy. And I guess I want to ask you explicitly to begin, what are the benefits of using an iPad for genealogy versus, say, your personal computer or your smartphone? Oh, that's a great question. And um, I think that the the main thing we're, we're looking at is, one, it is so much lighter than our laptop. So if we can get the iPad to do the same functions as we had our laptop, we don't have to carry, you know, five and 10 pounds on our shoulder, we can have less than two pounds. And with the new iPad Air, of course, it's even lighter than that. And um, I think also, you know, when you look at it versus your smartphone, the obvious answer there would be, you've got a beautiful screen. The iPad, the tablet size mobile device is really, I think, makes the transition from laptop much easier. Smartphones just get a little too small. 
And, you know, the iPad has that beautiful retina display. And um, you can really see what you're working on. So to me, it's the best of both worlds. It's the mobility of smartphone, but it's the computing capacity of, of desktop. And uh, there's a couple of ways to achieve that. I, to me, that's wonderful. And of course, it's it's light. So it's easy. It's perfect for going on the road. Absolutely. So Obviously, there are so many diverse apps out there to use with your iPad. What are some of uh, your favorites, and how do they function? Well, I think, really, my number one favorite is not a genealogy app at all, but it's one that makes it possible to do the computing side of things, you know, because I said up front, well, you could let go of your laptop and you could just take your iPad. And I'm sure people are thinking, yeah, but my iPad is not going to run the software that I use on my computer at home. So how is that going to work? It works through remote access. So my favorite app is called Splashtop. And I think you'll find it in the App Store under Splashtop Personal. Um, there's a couple of different products that they have. What this does is it's one simple app that accesses your home computer. So if your home computer, it's on, it can go to sleep, it's okay, Splashtop will kind of ping it. But as long as it's on, and it's connected to the internet, you're going to be able to remote access in to your home computer, which means you can literally accomplish anything that you could do on your home computer and basically run that computer right through the iPad. I do this, I travel constantly. And I use Splash Talk constantly. I even can admit that I use it around the house. If I'm sitting in the living room and I realize I want to do something, oh my gosh, I can just pick up my iPad and run my my computer in my office. That's how lazy I can get. But Splash Talk is um, really, really affordable. It's a free app. And then there's a very small fee for a monthly service, which I think you'll find you'll get so much use out of it. Uh, it's worth it. But that ability to run the home computer. So I can run my genealogy database, the full-blown database. I can use Word, Excel, Publisher, whatever's on my home computer, right through my iPad. And if you combine that with my next favorite app, which is Dropbox, then that solves the problem. Well, how do I get the files that I'm creating on my home computer? How do I get access to that from my iPad and be able to work with them? And Dropbox is the free app that gives you that holding place and that ability to move files using cloud computing. So I can create a file, maybe I update my computer database, and I want to get the GEDCOM on my iPad, I can export it out of my genealogy database, save it into Dropbox. And because of the cloud, I get that master copy of that right on my iPad. Um, so those two work really hand in hand to make it possible to go completely remote using just a, an iPad or a tablet. I guess your response there kind of uh, segues into my final question, which is more general, being how has your iPad changed the way you approach family research in general? You know, I think it's the iPad that has really made it possible for me to go almost paperless. Because the truth is, you know, when you're on the road, it's not as convenient to have, you know, pads of paper and pens and you're rummaging around your purse and trying to find stuff. I'm using another favorite app of mine, which is Evernote, the Evernote app, which I know we'll talk, I'll be talking about with, um, Allison in her segment. You know, you find yourself on the road 
taking virtual notes and not so much writing notes because you've got the iPad in front of you. You want to have those notes typed up and ready when you get home. You might as well put them straight into the app. And that helps you transition into more of a paperless type of research. And I tell you that that's great. I mean, um, you know, they were showing some pictures of my office in one of the latest issues of the magazine and people were saying, Oh my gosh, where's all the paper? You know, honest to goodness, a lot of it is notes on my tablet and they're all saved in Dropbox. And I have been able to go much more paperless because of using the iPad um, while I'm out and about. It kind of helps you make that transition a little bit easier. And then the other thing is, is that the newest uh, operating system for iPad has Siri. Oh my gosh, I use her for everything. And if you don't want a woman telling you what to do, you can make Siri a man's voice. So there you go. I mean, you can have it either way now. And when I'm on the road, I am constantly asking Siri everything from where's the local library to tell me about the German boundaries. And it will literally, the changing boundaries of Germany, it will pull up Wikipedia and give me the the scoop very quickly and then ask me if I want to go to other search engines or that type of thing. Um, Siri is like a personal assistant and I, I couldn't live without her now. Awesome. Well, obviously, uh, there's quite a few great, you know, on-the-road planning tips packed in there. And so thank you so much for presenting on uh, the <laughs> discussing the iPad, your ultimate genealogy tool on-demand webinar, which of course can be found at shopfamilytree.com. And I'm sure we'll also post a link on these show notes. But again, Lisa, thank you so much for having me here as a guest host. Well, and thank you for doing the interview duties. Terrific job, Tyler. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. As we wrap up this May 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, we've been talking all about uh, tips that are going to help us be successful on our summer research road trips. And um, I know you travel quite a bit. What's in your bag of must-bring items when you hit the road? I tend to travel not very lightly. <laughs> I like to take a lot of things with me, but I have figured out kind of how to pare it down to the things that I use most. And particularly if I'm going on a road trip, that allows a lot more flexibility than if you're traveling by plane. And so here are a few of the things that I always bring with me. First of all, um, I always carry my smartphone, not just because I need to always have it, but, you know, there are definitely, you know, the camera and certain apps that I use while I'm in um, a repository. For example, I, you know, I've used the camera on my phone to take pictures of records that I'm looking at, um, particularly when I was at the Family History Library, um, looking at German records. I had no idea what the words meant, so I could take <laughs> pictures of the words, and my husband speaks German, so I could send those back to him and get a little bit of a consult on what does that say? Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, of course, you know, having with the gadgets, you have to have um, appropriate memory. So I always have a flash drive and an SD card, depending on what kind of thing I'm using. I tend to bring my FlipPal mobile scanner when I'm going to um, visit relatives. And so I always like to have an extra SD card for that. And the flash drive is great for, at some repositories, you can save things to a flash drive if you've scanned them. So that's handy to have. And then, of course, don't forget your chargers um, right. so that you have the um, ability to use those devices. And, you know, if it takes batteries, bringing extra batteries, too. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I always bring a research binder with me. And one of the things that I find challenging is the idea of, you know, you want to have everything at your disposal so that you can look things up or, you know, what did it say in that record? Or, you know, I know I have this somewhere, um, but you can't care- take it all with you literally. So the key thing that I always take along in my research binder is I make sure that I have, you know, my ancestor charts and my family group sheets for the lines that I'm working on. So, you know, usually where I'm going, I know I need to focus my time and attention on answering specific research questions. So making sure that I have the relevant materials, dates, names, um, and supporting documentation for those specific lines, that's what I carry with me including the repository that I'm going to. You know, it's really good to do your homework in advance, so I will always include printouts of information about that repository. So, you know, if I've already done some legwork and figured out which films or books or things that I want to look at, I'll include printouts of the catalog record so I have that um, and can pull those materials immediately. And then also just general information about the hours um, and other researcher needs that's good to have because if your phone battery does die and you can't look it up on the internet, um, (laughs) it's good to have that as a backup. It's a great point. Yes. Um, Also, I'm a type of person who tends to get cold easily and you never know what the temperature is going to be like um, when you're traveling in the places that you're visiting. So even though it's the middle of the summer, I tend to bring a sweater or sweatshirt um, in case the air conditioning is uncomfortably cold. And then I also bring a bag that has enough room for all of my research supplies, but then also enough room for the sweater so that if I don't want to wear it, I don't accidentally leave it hanging on the back of a chair. And then more logistically speaking, the last few items that I bring along is I make sure that I always have pencils because some repositories do not allow pens um, and dollar bills and quarters. You're going to need those for parking, for copiers and copier cards and various, um, even if you just want to buy something out of the vending machine, making sure that I have change to do that is important. Ah, I can tell you've been on a lot of road trips, because you're absolutely right. Like when you go into the Library of Congress, they don't want you, I think, having pens. At least last time I was there, we had to have pencils. And I don't usually carry a pencil. So even just having something like that is uh, critical to being a researcher. Right. And most of the repositories, I think, will have pencils for people to use if they don't allow pens, but it's always good to have your own. I mean, even just the local historical society here, our team went on a visit, and um, one of the first things that they said, we, you know, we were taking notes for our blogging and what have you that we were going to be doing afterward, and like, ah, 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 you got to use a pencil. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, that's a that's a great comprehensive list. Um, and you're absolutely right. There are times where uh, it's very comfortable outside and then you go inside and it's freezing cold. So you may even have to have a sweater with you if it's summertime, who knows? But okay, well, wonderful. I'm going to have this entire list in the show notes so people can um, piggyback off of that and be prepared for their next trip. Um, any items that you recommend that you have available in Shop Family Tree that will also help us be prepared to hit the road? Well, sure. One thing that I think a lot of people will find useful is a new CD that we just released called the Essential Family Tree Forms Library CD. That's got some great forms for budgeting for your research road trip, for, you know, tracking information, what you need to pack, but then also just, you know, research log type of forms so that you can track what you're doing, you know, noting down the repository information that I talked about earlier, that's going to be a great resource. And then um, for those looking for a research binder, 
binder. We do have a Family Tree Magazine research binder in Shop Family Tree that has lots of, um, you know, it's the three rings, but it also has pockets and a place for a notebook and um, pens and things like that. So, and pencils. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's, you know, really one that we picked out with uh, genealogist needs in mind. Perfect. Well, great. Well, we'll have links in the show notes to all of those. Thank you so much. I think we're ready to hit the road, Allison. I'm ready. Perfect. Talk to you next month. Thanks so much for joining me for this May 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Dana McCullough's article. It's called Genealogy Adventure Awaits. You'll find it in the July-August issue of the magazine. You can order the paper or digital version at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, and they will include information and website links for everything that we've covered on the show today, including Evernote, the recorded webinar that I did on the iPad being the ultimate research tool, and of course, everything else that we've talked about. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. is sponsored by Family Tree Tours. Family Tree Tours provides a unique travel experience for those who are eager to know more about their family history. Envision meeting family you never knew existed, walking the cobblestone streets through your ancestor's village to the church where your great-great-grandfather was married, or visiting with local townsfolk in a beer garden. Whether you choose a privately escorted group or independent tour, Family Tree Tours Heritage Trips provides you with the opportunity to experience the culture of your heritage and create memories for future generations. Visit them at FamilyTreeTours.com.